So the world is in absolute chaos. You've only got to open the paper today and you will read about a hostile takeover, the overthrowing of a CEO, and a share raid. Takeover offer for Qualcomm turned hostile. Taking its takeover bid for Spirit hostile. The largest companies in the world are literally plundering the earth and crossing any moral boundary for their own self-gain. report depicted it as a bruising workplace. Dodes from former employees. Others falling asleep as they work. And just because it's become the normal way of doing business, doesn't mean it's right. It is time for the Christians to stand up and start doing business righteously. The wealth of the wicked is stored up for the just, not for the Christian. It is time that we act justly to position ourselves in such a way that our fellow man benefits. In the parable of the Minas, we read a story of a master who's going away to a faraway land, and before he leaves, he gathers 10 servants and gives each of them a mina. One person comes back and says, I turned my one mina into 10. One says, I turned the one mina into five. And one says, I turned my one mina into one. You and I have an obligation to take the mina we've been given, to go and do business in a way that glorifies God and points people back to Him. And for Kingdom Business Summit 2024, it's time. It's time that we scaled our businesses. It's time that we grew as leaders. It's time that we act justly. It's time that we multiply our impact. And ultimately, it's time to take dominion. At Kingdom Business Summit 24, we are taking ground. This is gonna be the most practical summit we've ever put on. It's gonna be the deepest spiritual training where we plumb the depths of scripture and make that practical for the everyday use. But we're also gonna be looking at strategy. What does it look like to scale a business in 2024? What are the tools you need around sales, around marketing, around leadership? And not to mention the most phenomenal lineup of speakers. So we have this entire interchange to it's settled. Whatever God says, I embrace it as the best because he's my maker and he knows what is right for me. There will be hundreds of kingdom entrepreneurs that are there to learn together, worship together, and network together. So I invite you to join me for Kingdom Business Summit 2024, where you will learn the practical tools that you can apply to take dominion. Well, g'day, g'day, g'day. Hope you're doing super well. Welcome back to Bible for Business 13. Appreciate you guys watching. Let me know that you're here. Put something in the comments, put something in the chat. Thumbs up, put something in, put an emoji in. I don't mind what it is. I just want to see some engagement from you. A uh, quick shout out to those that came to the Bible for Business night last week. Um, so, you know, the concept was essentially I decided to take this, this Bible for Business broadcast, um, which, you know, has been so well received. It's ridiculous the amount of feedback that I get. Praise God for that. <clears throat> and take it out to be a physical night. And so um, with only like eight days of notice, we decided to put on an event in Brisbane. Um, and uh, yeah, it was essentially just this, except at the end of, you know, the, the preaching and teaching, we went to impartation. So uh, it, like 40 odd people turned up, which is crazy considering it's Christmas month and, and no notice and, and just just created a Facebook event and, and went for it. And um, 
and I preached on boldness and then I gave an opportunity for people to come to the altar for impartation, for laying on of hands and 35 of the 40 came forward. And so we had a, an amazing time in the Lord, just laying hands and, and, and believing for impartation and, uh, and people left with a real skip in their step. And so, uh, so it was a whole lot of fun. And, uh, and we'll do that again on January the 18th, also in Brisbane. So just mark that in your diary, January the 18th in Brisbane. We will do it again, pick a different topic, preach, um, and then have some ministry around it. Ultimately, I just want to create a space for the Lord to really do business with people, um, interact with people, and, um, and, and just see these people raise up to be you know, more and more and more powerful in the marketplace. So, uh, so that's the thing that we did, and it was a whole lot of fun. If you haven't got your Kingdom Business Summit tickets yet, I recommend you grab them soon because early bird will go away, right? So grab your tickets to Kingdom Business Summit. We're going to have something like 600 Kingdom entrepreneurs together in Brizzy, in Brisbane there. And uh, for two and a half days, we've got John Bevere, who's going to be dialing in. I've got a friend from California coming over to speak um, and, uh, and a few others. <clears throat> That's going to be a real powerful time. So if you haven't got your tickets, do it soon. All right, BBB 13, five things you ought to do. Five things you ought to do. Um, and we're going to be basically reading from um, Philemon today, a very short letter that Paul wrote. Um, and, uh, and I'm going to put this in the context of the marketplace because that's ultimately where I feel like my assignment is. Philemon's really interesting. I, I don't know whether it just came on a day that Paul didn't have much to say or he was in a hurry, but it's an entire book that is not even a full page. Um, and, but it's actually really, really potent and really powerful. But as I read it, there's just one word that absolutely leaps off the page and, and grabs my attention, right? So, uh, so let's see if we can find it. Um, let's go, we should back up a little bit and go, there is only, there is no, um, there is no two, there's only one. So they're not even divided out in chapter and verse because, because there's no chapters, it's just one. Um, so if we go, um, to Philemon and we start at number four, so officially you call it one, four, but there's no one because there's no two. So four, it says this. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective and deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. That's, that's not a lesson for today, but we're going to go and study one day what it means to refresh the hearts of the Lord's people. Let me just give you a bit of a clue. It actually includes financial, financial giving to the Lord's people, but we'll come to that. So then it goes on to say this, therefore, you know, it's interesting. That's the reason why I wanted to back up a little bit because it's really unfair to start reading it a therefore. And I think, you know, there are, there are some some prominent preachers, you know, uh, that have used the cliche term that I like any time that you read a therefore, you want to go and find what it's there for. 
And I tend to agree, right? Because you need to know what comes before and what comes after. So having said all of that, he says, therefore, although in Christ, I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now as a prisoner of Jesus Christ, that I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. I love this bit. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now has become useful both to you and to me. Right. So here's the word. It's the word ought. O-U-G-H-T. Ought. So going back to number eight, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I prefer to appeal to you in love. You know what I love so much about how practical this is? Like there are things that you and I just ought to do. We just ought to do them, right? Very black and white. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So, so the, you know, I guess in, in the text we've got two things happening. One is the way that he appealed to him, but the center is there are things that you ought to do. And so here's what I love about that so much in a 2023-24 world. I feel like a lot of the ought-to-dos are being contested. Obviously, one of the modern things that's happening right now is people are deconstructing their faith. You, I don't know if you've heard it. It's like, it's this common concept, right? And it's not just happening with the younger generation. It's happening with, with, a, with the whole spectrum of generations, but for different reasons across the generations. And I'll tell you what, having looked at a lot of people who have deconstructed their faith over the last few years, I tell you what really concerns me about the people that are deconstructing their faith. What I have seen it means for some people is that they are now just picking and choosing which bits of the Bible they want to live up to. That's what deconstructing has become. I don't agree with that bit. I don't like the way that plays out. I'm not going to be part of that. But that bit, that bit, and that bit, I'm, a, I'm cool with. Listen, we were warned against that kind of gospel. You know, it talks about there being two kinds of gospel. It talks about being the true, full gospel, and it talks about another gospel, right, that's just leading people astray. And that's literally what the devil has done with people that deconstructed their faith and deconstructed their Christian worldview. They've just deconstructed it to the point where they're like, and now I'm going to take those bits out. Those bits that are offensive to the world, I'm going to take those out. Those bits that I'm struggling to agree with, I'm going to take those out. Listen, that, by the way, is not full gospel. Right. That is literally you're on a pathway to destruction. And so, you know, it's come out of this cancel culture, you know, because obviously as the world gets darker, right, the Bible becomes more and more offensive. Right. And so, you know, you've got kind of three groups of people on the planet. Right. You've got those hardcore believers that will pay any price for the gospel. You've got those people that never, ever want anything to do with the gospel ever. And you've got a group in the middle who are lukewarm. Right. They're the ones that are like, you know what, I would rather deconstruct my Bible than have a harsh conversation with somebody or be seen to be what, you know, like a, a like a radical. And so that's the problem, right? Because you've just watered it down to the point where it has absolutely no effect. 
that's why the Bible says light drives out darkness, right? Because the, the more bold you can be around the things of Scripture and the Word of God, the more light you will illuminate and the more darkness you'll put out. But you are going to be offensive, right? You are going to upset people on the path. And, and so now you've got a decision to make. Do you want to be everybody's friend or do you want to stand up for the Word of God? Because you can't be both. Woe to you if all men speak well of you, right? If you, if, by the way, if all men speak well of you, it means that you're people pleasing everybody around you. And if you're doing that, you cannot be potent enough to stand up for the word of God. And so, <clears throat> and so Paul basically just black and white says there are things you ought to do. And, um, you know, and, and I guess if you take, if you take the younger generation, right, their whole worldview is to deconstruct out of the fact that, you know, they don't want to offend anybody, right? So, you know, we see we see some of the forefathers, some of the greatest kingdom leaders of all time, you know, society might have built a statue around them. Well, because they did one thing wrong, we'll pull the statue down now, right? This is hilarious, right, that these, you know, <laughs> these people who also have a sin nature would, would go after somebody who did something wrong. You know, you know, in many generations, they'll forget all of the good somebody might have done and go after the one thing they've done wrong. Right. Which is hilarious. Like maybe maybe take that massive plank out of your own eye before you go after the speck in somebody else's. Right. And so 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 they kind of approach this thing differently, but but they're all deconstructing. And uh, and I still haven't yet somebody met somebody yet who is deconstructing in a way that actually brings fruit. Right, it is all in a way that's compromising, right? The, you know the power of scripture and the validity of scripture. So that's a bad thing. But like Paul says to Philemon, there are just some things you ought to do. So here I'm going to give you five, five things. There's not only five, by the way. I'm just going to give you five for the sake of the fact that you know you're probably going to need to get out of here at some point, and and we haven't got like seven straight days for us to be on a broadcast. Actually, maybe one day. That does sound like a good idea. Five things that a marketplace believer ought to do, right? Just ought to do. Not not up for negotiation, right? This is like, this is not, well, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know that that's for me. Okay, well, then you're going to have a real trouble believing scriptures if one of these is not for you. Um, all right, so the first one, and I'm tailoring these specifically to the marketplace people because that's who you are, because you're an amazing marketplace champion. The first thing you ought to do as a marketplace champion is give away your money. Now, that's offensive, I know. I know that that's offensive. I'm like, wow, you know, like you don't know my situation. Listen, this isn't based on situations. There's a woman that gave away two mites and she was credited for giving away more than people that, you know, gave away a lot of money. This isn't about your situation. This is about your approach and your attachment to things right? This is about, are you willing to give up your money? Right. And it's funny. People say to me, well, I don't want to give up money. I want to give up my time or, you know, you know, there's time, there's treasure and there's talents. Right. And it's funny how people were, they're so quick to give up time. Right. Um, you know, or, or a talent, but they're scared to give out their treasure. And I'm like, but your treasure is a representation of your time and your talent, right? You've, why would you give away? Like it's, it's just swimming in the shallow end of the pool because, because your talent, sorry, 
your treasure represents your time and your talent. You had to give up your time to build your business and use your skills to make the money to give it away, right? I think that's why, you know, the the test is there around giving away money because we've already done the work and we've used our talents and we've given up the time to be able to give away that money, okay? Which is why it's weird when somebody says, I just want to give away more time. It's like, yeah, but but that's not as hard as giving away treasure because treasure includes your time and your talent. So, so you got to get now. You know there are there are plenty of scriptures that back up the fact that you should give. It literally says, you know, um, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, right? <clears throat> and and the opposite. <clears throat> so, like, I just wonder. I just wonder whether you've caught the fact that one of your roles, not not the most important role that you play, one of your roles as a marketplace believer is to give away money. And that's quite confronting. Now, I'm not going to say where, like you can figure out where. It's hardly difficult to find a need in this world there's like 8 billion of them, right? So should you give it to your church? Should you not? That's for you to navigate, right? But you ought to be giving away actual hard-earned money because I have found that it is the hardest test to pass is to give away actual money, irrespective of the amount that you have today, irrespective of the amount coming in. Find a way to be a financial blessing to somebody. It is one of the things that you ought to do. Not Actually, this is not even reserved for a marketplace person. This is just for a believer. And there's obviously, there's no clear instruction in the New Testament on how to apportion your financial giving, right? I know, I know some people may disagree. Uh, I've, you know, around the concept of the strict tithe, um, I can't make a case for a strict tithe in the New Testament. I feel like, you know, especially in the Western countries where our prosperity is so high, it's like, well, how is it going to stretch me to give away 10%? Like that's, it's not even a stretch in our prosperous world, right? So, so it, the Lord's not going to want me to keep the New Testament and make it keepable, which is what the Pharisees had done with the Old Testament, right? They had created a life in such a way that they could keep the law without it greatly affecting their life. So why would the Lord want that in a New Testament? You know, every single where in Scripture, he's like, you have heard it said that, it, you know, that if you don't commit adultery, then whatever. It, but I say to you, even if you give a girl the eye, you've committed adultery, right? You have heard it said, do not murder. But I say, even if you call your brother a fool, you've murdered them, right? So in the New Testament, there's no tick and flick. There's no check sheet. There's no pass fail mark. There's all in in the things of the kingdom, right? And so, and so because it's all in and it's impossible, then you need a redeemer, right? Who is Christ. So when it comes to giving, it's an area that you will want to growing constantly over your whole life. And as a marketplace person, there's no limit to the amount of money we can make. Therefore, our giving should be an area where we are worshiping God and worshiping God more and more and more with more and more money over time as our businesses grow and as our finances grow and as our needs on and our self, you know, 
if you go and take money and start building up assets, remember he gives seed to the sower and 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 seed to store and bread to eat. So you've got to navigate all of those. Well, if you store enough over a long over many decades, <clears throat> then you don't need to eat as much out of your cash flow because you've got these other assets and so forth. And so your giving can actually increase over time because you will need less. You know, maybe maybe it takes three or four decades for you to set yourself up in that way but you don't have to take as much, which means you can be a li- bit more liberal. So you want to be giving more and more and more and more and more over your life, okay, and stretching yourself in the area of giving. So that's just one thing that you absolutely ought to do, okay? Now, don't hate me. It's in Scripture. Right, the second thing that you absolutely ought to be doing for a marketplace person is living righteously, living righteously. You just ought to do that, right? You just ought to do that. Now, the reason why this is important and it's a test is because the marketplace is the hardest place to live righteously, right? You know, if you're, if you're called to the, you know, the vocational church, pastor, associate pastor, whatever, like those kind of worlds, which is amazing, by the way, and we love our pastors. This is not better or worse or not them and us. But in that world, it's very easy to live righteous, right? Sure, somebody might be gossiping about you, but like it's very easy to live righteous. Everyone expects you to, everyone around you does, you know, and so forth. But let's take somebody in government, right? That's a harder place to live righteously because, you know, there's always the opportunity to compromise. We'll go even further out than that. You've got the marketplace. That's the hardest place to live righteously because the whole thing is built on self-interest and corruption. Okay, so, you know, as a business person that has temptation 700 times a day, right, to live unrighteously, we are called to live righteous. Okay, so I guess you could look at it two ways. You, like I, I called it live righteous, but another way to say it would be to oppose corruption. Okay, like we need to be able to spot corruption taking place in the marketplace around us and actually shun it and not be part of it. Okay, and that's, it's super important that that righteousness is in our lives. Let's look at Philippians 1.9. Philippians 1.9. There's, there's obviously, you know, we are called to live righteously. Now, some of you might be saying, yeah, I'm righteous by faith. Well, that's true too. But righteous by faith, you know, is that's where you're seated, but you still need to operate from that place on a transaction by transaction basis, on a daily basis, okay? Like it doesn't work that you can say, well, I'm righteous by faith and then go and just be part of every corrupt deal under the sun, right? It's just not going to work. Like you, there's just going to be a fruit in your life that you're missing if you live that way, okay? I'm talking about not just necessarily being sealed in the book of life and, and, and the righteousness of Christ on, upon salvation. I'm talking about your day-to-day handling and the fruit in your life, right? So Philippians 1.9 says this, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Okay. Now there's a lot in that, right? And, you know, basically this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best. So you, you have to discern what is best and may be pure. So this is about you, right? You need to be able to discern and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus. Okay. So it comes from him, but we have to choose it. It is a fruit, right, that comes out of our life. And it is a fruit that comes out from the daily decisions that we are making. Cool. Paid for by Christ, lived out by us. Okay. Because obviously you go to the extreme and say, well, it was all paid for by Christ. So now I can do what I want. Listen, Paul addressed that gospel, right, of just going back to the same corrupt, sinful nature. That's not going to work. All right. So you ought to live righteously, oppose corruption in the marketplace, and be able to stand that test, which is not that easy, but it's black and white. You ought to. Now, of course, you get a comforter for the journey, right, which is one of the names for the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, for all these people I know that want their road to be easy as a believer <clears throat> because God's on your side, it's like, well, why would he send a comforter if it was always going to be easy, right? So so don't worry about that. It's going to be hard and there's lots and lots of challenges and you have to stand firm. And uh, And so it is up to you to be fighting every day to be living in a way that produces the fruit of righteousness. The third thing that you ought to be doing, you ought to be doing as a marketplace person is ministering the gospel, ministering the gospel. See, it, it's almost like if you take, um, you know, the modern message of the seven mountains, okay, and I think the seven mountains is a wonderful framework for people to kind of go, Lord, where have you called me to be a minister? I think it's great. Um, I, I do think it has some flaws because it's almost become a theology and it's not, right? It's almost become a gospel and it's not. So I think as a framework, I think it's pretty handy. But I think, you know, it, it, it's, it doesn't replace the scriptures, which I'm sure most of you would realize. But... But we, you know, the the Great Commission, take this this, king, this this gospel of the kingdom into every nation. You know, it wasn't only for the people that we would call preachers, right? And the, so the Seven Mountains is handy because it allows people to see where they fit. But I think it's dangerous because then what it has become is, well, I'm called here. So somebody else must be managing over there, okay? That's where it falls over for me. It's like, well, I'm called to the business world, not to the church world. So I'm going to run businesses, and the church world people are going to do the preaching and the teaching and ministering the gospel. See, that's a problem, right? Because it wasn't an instruction that says, hey, if you've been to Bible college, take this gospel of the kingdom into the whole world. That's not what it says. It's an instruction to every believer to take this gospel of the kingdom into the marketplace, into the nations of this world, the people groups of this world. And actually, the word nations is not actually nations as in countries. It's nations as in people groups, ethnos. And so one of the people groups is, is, is millennials. One of the people groups is the wealthy. One of the people groups is the people that you employ, right? So take it in that context that you are called to take this gospel of the kingdom into the nation, into the people group that's around you whether that be your three team members or your 300 team members, whether that be your five customers or your 500 customers, right? That world around you needs you to minister into it. 
it needs you to minister directly into that group. Okay. And, and now that doesn't mean that you have to have revival meetings in your boardroom on Tuesday at midday. Like that's not what it is. I, I wish we could do that, but HR laws don't allow that anymore. One of my heroes is R.G. Letourneau. Um, and he's got a couple of books, um, God Owns My Business and uh, Mover of Man and Mountain. Incredible, incredible human. He was basically the father of everything that I'm trying to teach. He did it in the in the 20s, 19, I think he was born about 1910 or maybe 1902, somewhere in there. So he kind of was in business through First World War and Second World War. And he, God would give him a design and a patent for a pneumatic wheel and earth moving equipment. So he would, first it was horse drawn scrapers to make roads. And then he got the patent and the idea for the pneumatic wheel and stuff like that. And so they would scrape. And um, in fact, in the book, God Owns My Business, um, towards the back of the book, it actually tells you. So he would... He, it was a publicly listed company that he would issue stock to his ministry, um, which is a great, by the way, this is, we're diverging a little bit, but for those of you who are trying to figure out how to do giving, <clears throat> what he did was he would, he made his business public. So it had shares on offer and then he would gift the shares to the ministry that did evangelism so that, you know, at the end of the year where they make a profit, they'd work out how many shares the ministry has and take the money and put it over there and then use that money to evangelize, which is a great model. And, but actually he would shut his factory down twice a day, day shift and night shift, shut the factory down. You know, we're talking like 5,000 workers, the hard men that were just like, you know, making equipment, like those steel workers, shut down the factory, gather them all together and preach the gospel twice a day, every single day, giving an invitation for people to come to Christ. Right. And then wrapping a discipleship program around them. And, um, you know, he would have copped a heap of grief at the time. People wouldn't want to be part of it, but he did it twice a day, every day. He would bring guest speakers in. They would come and, you know, give the message and so forth every day. I just think, man, that's incredible. Now, we, we're not allowed to do that, right? And so we have to find other ways of ministering the gospel to people. It could be one-on-one. -on -one. When a team member comes to you and says, I've, my world's fallen apart or this broken thing in my home or I've just been diagnosed with this. Like, they're wonderful invitations for you to, figure out how to minister the gospel to these people. It doesn't have to be that, you know, that you hit them over the over the, the head. It doesn't have to be that you take them through the four spiritual laws. It doesn't have to be anything. It just has to be out of a heart of compassion that you minister the gospel to these people, okay? Now, it could be, actually, that you find other ways to minister the gospel, you know, to, you know, to, to your customers. I'll give you another ex wonderful example. Stanley Tam, who only recently passed away. In fact, this will just spin you out. So that he wrote a book. God runs my business. So whichever one I said before, one of them's God runs my business and one of them's God's own my business. And they're in both incredible men that built massive businesses and, and funded evangelism. But Stanley Tam, who is or was the US Plastics Corporation, every single time somebody would buy a product and they shipped it out, you know, it had in it like a, a tract and, a, and an invitation to the gospel and people could fill it in and say they'd given their life and post it back and then they would walk them on a journey with them in discipleship. To, the, to, to today they do that, right? And they've got a documented evidence of the amount of cards that have come in of people. It's in the tens of thousands of people that have given their life on these cards and sent them back in. So, by the way, that's probably not going to work for you as an idea, but you've got to find your way of ministering. What does it look like? 
for you, okay? What we can't do is we can't outsource the ministering of the gospel and just see ourselves as a business person that's called to make cash. It's that and. It's not or. It's and, all right? The fourth thing that you ought to be doing as a marketplace person is actually using every single gift and talent God's given you to scale the biggest business you can. Now, this will be a real challenge for some people, but actually you're called to scale a big business, as big as you possibly can. Now, I'm not couching it. I'm not saying everyone's got to have a billion dollar revenue. Some, some of you will. Some of you do hundreds of millions. Some of you do 10. Some of you do 1 million, whatever the number. Like, uh, like here's what I'm saying. I'm saying your obligation, the thing you ought to do is to figure out, God, what have you put inside of me? I want to use every gift, every talent, because I want to build the biggest business possible, right? And and here's the reason why. In Colossians, it says, you know, work with all of your heart as if you were working for God and not for human masters. With all of your heart. That, you know, and, and as if you were working for the Lord, not for humans. See, what that well, that's a picture of like it, it should never really stop, right? Because what you it doesn't say work with all your heart for two years and then take a year off. It doesn't say work with all your heart until you've made a few dollars and then retire. It's like work with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord and not for human masters. See, I have found that there seems to be a bit of a trend about you know kingdom entrepreneurs who start a business and they get some level of success. But because that level of success takes way longer and is way harder than they originally thought, they cap out their business growth to a certain point and then they stay there. And it becomes really, really dangerous. But actually, what happens is it's selfishness that creeps in in most cases because it's like, I don't, like we're good now. Like I don't need to push. I am making enough for me. I'm making enough for my family. And now I'm going to stop. Listen, that's the very heart that God's warring against. Because if we've truly laid down our life, then we wouldn't stop. We would find a way to make it sustainable. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, but like my family. And I'm like, no, no, find a way to make it sustainable and then do it over your whole life. So if you were neglecting your health and neglecting your family to make it, and then you make it, that, that's not reason to stop. That's reason to break the model, right? Break the model. Find a way to value your family and spend time with them and look after your health and you know, be with your spouse and, and be a committed member of church and read the gospel. Like find a break. If, if, if you were too far into business to kind of get it to work, then break the model, right, so that you can be across the five Fs that matter, faith, family, finance, fitness, and fun, and then go and do it for the next however many decades you've got left, okay? Because if you stop at just enough for you, then you're not going to be using all of the gifts and talents God's got for you. What he's looking for is people that commit to doing things as if they're working for him and not human masters. Now that means that you're going to produce more and more and more and more and more and more and more. But I'm not suggesting for a minute that you have to live off more and more and more. I'm going to suggest that, you know, number one was around giving. Once you make the decision to do business for life because the anointing doesn't leave you and because you want to do business 
as God is your master and not humans, you you will want to get to the point where you you don't have bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger ambitions for your own self, but you have bigger and bigger ambitions <clears throat> to want to fund the kingdom and build a business and employ people and, and preach to them and impact, right? And when you get to that point, <clears throat> you'll want to break the model and make it sustainable because you will want to keep multiplying your talents, but not for your own self gain. So, so you can imagine, take this out over decades, right? Where you just decide to make the model sustainable so that you're looking after your health and family, reading the Bible, all those things. <clears throat> and now you decide to like, like use all of the gifts over the course of your life. Think about what, what's going to happen to your giving, right? Now your giving is going to absolutely explode because you don't need as much as you once did. You are happy to live off a certain amount because it's not about you in the end. And so now like your lifestyle stays like this, but your business revenue and profit goes like this. Now watch what happens to your impact. Okay. So that's what happens when you decide to work with all of your heart as if working for the Lord and not for human masters. But it's going to take, it's going to take a commitment over many, many decades for you to get to that point. And the fifth thing, the fifth thing that you ought to be doing, ought to be doing black and white, is seeking wisdom, right? Seeking wisdom. So um, Proverbs tells us that it is the principal thing and refers to wisdom as a she. And so half of the Proverbs give us a picture of how to seek wisdom. And it uses picture language, like she is calling out from the street corners. She's yelling at you from the top of buildings, right? She, she, she. This wisdom thing, what it's saying, it's it's not saying that if you stand on the street and look at the corner, you'll get wisdom. It's saying that wisdom is everywhere, everywhere, everywhere. And so you just have to be able to turn on your receptors to be able to see wisdom in everything, okay? So, you know, so essentially, right, you need to start adding to the wisdom base that you've got. Okay, and your knowledge of the things of the kingdom. And you should seek it. The Bible says, cry out for wisdom, right? So that's not like, that's not like scratching around a little bit looking for some wisdom, crying out for it, crying out for it. That means an, it's an act. You got to, you got to go get loud. You got to go get proud. You got to go make some demands, right? And for the people I know who literally cry out for wisdom, none of them have been let down. In fact, I still remember a time it would, I'd be going back to maybe 2013, 14. I had a friend who had a real estate business. And so we just decided, every, I think four mornings a week, that we would get together at six o'clock in the morning. So, you know, we would get together for maybe an hour and then we would go into our days right? So, you know, so that was like, you know, up at four to get ready, suit, tie, cufflinks, you know, whatever, maybe not that early, five to be there for six to go into a day, right? But we would get into his boardroom and then we would spend 30 minutes every morning crying out for wisdom. And we would be walking around his office, Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, let us discern what we, show us how we're going to do this. Lord, speak through these things. I would cry out. And I literally saw my own understanding of the things of the kingdom go like this at that time. 
my understanding, my ability to see scripture, to hear a conversation and to take wisdom from it, right? To see a thing, you know, to watch a sermon and distill wisdom, it literally kicked up a notch because I was crying out for wisdom. And I still do today. I want wisdom, right? You know, when most people are wanting money, I would much rather have wisdom, right? Because because the wisdom is going to be a sustainable way to make lots and lots of money over a much longer period of time. All right. So, so you ought to be crying out for wisdom and noticing that it is everywhere. Okay. It's an act that you can be doing constantly seeking, crying out for wisdom. Lord, show me, open my eyes. I want the hidden things of the kingdom. I, I, I need your understanding. I need your knowledge. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. Give me wisdom. You start making that your prayer every single day and your spiritual eyes will be thrown open and you'll start to see wisdom. You'll read scripture and it will come alive to a magnitude of 10, what it used to. Okay. Because that's what he is asking us to step into. You got to get some wisdom. Now, who would have thought that one word in the book of Philemon would lead to 40 minutes of teaching? But that's really it, right? You ought to do. Stop being black and white. Stop picking and choosing the things of Scripture that suit you and just go all in for the things of the kingdom. And to do that, there's five things you ought to do. One is to give and just keep expanding in your giving. Number two is to live righteously and oppose corruption. Number three is to be a minister of the gospel to the people that are around you. Number four is to use every gift and talent God's given you to scale up a business much bigger than you need. And the fifth thing is to seek that wisdom. Hey, it's been great hanging out with you. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to do a Bible for Business night again in Brisbane on January the 18th. Put it in your diary. Come along. We're going to do teaching, and then we're going to do impartation where people can encounter the Holy Ghost. Love you.